Welcome to Interchain FM, where we dive into the frontier of the blockchain space. We're now in the third generation of blockchain tech, where a burgeoning multi-chain ecosystem is about to explode into what we call the decentralized web. Where Ethereum is to the mainframe computing era of the internet, Cosmos is to the PC era. If you're seeking alpha in the Cosmos ecosystem, look no further. This is the destination for your exponential learning experience. Interchain FM is where you can get the download on all of the high signal projects, building bridges to one another, and how you can participate in the future of the internet. We are celebrating the launch of Mars Hub, which happened on January 31st, 2023, for those of you who are tuning in much later than this live stream. It is the official day that humans have gone to Mars and front-ran Elon Musk. So congratulations, everyone in the crypto space. You could tell your grandkids that. If you don't know enough about Mars, I encourage you to watch our first episode. Um, that should serve as a primer. And I had Larry on in the first one alongside with Jose. So do watch that. We're going to go into the latest updates that they have now that the Mars Hub is launched rather than just the technicals. So welcome to the show, Larry. Thanks for being back here. Hey, Chengo. Hey, everyone. Yeah, congratulations on the launch. How does it feel to launch a mainnet? Stressful. Well, we're definitely happy to see the things we have been building for a while going live. So we're happy about it. But of course, this is only stage one of the launch. We have three stages. If you read our Twitter feed, our blog post, the first stage is the Mars Hub app chain. Stage two is the actual lending protocol on Osmosis. And stage three is a credit account protocol also on Osmosis. We are just getting started. Is there a certain time frame for each of those? No specific date. Soon, when they are ready. That's all I can say. How was the launch event? Did it go smoothly? Were there rocky starts? What happened? Not entirely according to plan. But it all went well in the end. There was some little technical stuff, like uh, mostly because we made some last-minute change and some validators have up-to-date, had outdated stuff. So there was some coordination issues, some consensus issues. But in the end, there was no big deal. And uh, it all went, everything else went according to plan, basically. You guys are doing a Mars airdrop, right? And that's going to go towards the original holders of Mars on Terra Classic. Can you tell us more details about how that works? So if you don't know, Mars Protocol originally launched on Terra Classic. And obviously Terra Classic is kind of dead and Mars Protocol is also no longer operating on Terra Classic. But we did have a token on Terra Classic. So what we did is we took two snapshots of the old Mars token holders. So the two snapshots, one is before the depagging, the other is after the depagging. We take an average and airdrop the new Mars token to the holders of the original old Mars token on Terra Classic. There's also going to be this uh, an NFT mint, right? For like the Genesis participants. How do you mean? So that NFT is, is nothing special. It's just like a gift or just a memorabilia for, for everybody who witnesses this event. So there will be a sick, uh, we already released two, but there are two more coming. There's going to be a QR code or secret code for claiming. You need to find that code somewhere. We're going to hide it somewhere, maybe somewhere on the front end, web app application, or maybe in the blog post or in the tweet somewhere. People need to find it to claim the NFT. 
Can anyone who finds it claim it, or do they have to be a token holder or something special? Anyone? Anyone. But there's a deadline, so you're going to find it in 24 hours or so, once it is posted. Like an Easter egg game. That's fun. Yeah, we covered the Mars Hub launch in V1, and it sounds pretty straightforward. You've got you know the Mars token that's used for staking, and people are going to stake in order to vote in the Martian High Council. All makes sense, right? Given that we've now are terraforming Mars. But interesting thing is Mars V2, and that's your the Red Bank outpost that's going to allow for lending and borrowing of Cosmos assets on Osmosis. Can you talk more about that? The terminology is a, a bit confusing. Even internally among our team, somebody used V2 refers to one thing and some other people use V2 to refer to a different thing. The overall plan is this. So we're going to have a thing called Red Bank, and that is the actual lending borrowing protocol. So you, if you're familiar with Compound or Aave, they operate pretty much the same way. You deposit an asset, the assets you deposit will be available for other people to borrow, but you will also be able to borrow other people's deposited assets against your own deposit as collateral. So it's a lending borrowing protocol. So it is the same as Compound Ave, as mentioned. It's also pretty much the same as what we had on Terra Classic. That is stage two of the deployment sequence I just mentioned. For the stage three of the deployment sequence, we are going to have a thing credit account, and we have a code name for it called Rover, Mars Rover. So what credit account does, it's a more generalized credit protocol built on top of Red Bank. So in, in Rover, you first also need to deposit some collateral, but the collateral you deposit is not for other people to borrow. It is still for your own use. You can borrow money from, well, borrow tokens and assets from Red Bank, and you can put your own deposit and your tokens you just borrowed into some productive use. You can do some leverage trading, you can do leverage yield farming, whatever you can think of that is whitelisted by governance. So that is a innovative protocol, in my opinion. Some people call that Mars V2. The rover protocol in particular we are going to launch in stage three is a kind of nerfed protocol. So we are only going to allow one activity per credit account. And that is because, well, this is a new DeFi primitive, pretty risky, so we take the safe approach. So we are going to launch with a nerfed version of rover. But later on, as we experiment these things, we are more confident about it. We are going to allow multiple activities in the same credit account. So that, that will be the full version of Rover. Some people call this Mars V2. So let's forget about terminology. But the idea is we are going to launch with a nerfed version of Rover. And at some point later, we are going to remove the restriction and we get the full capability Rover. That's a broader view of the whole thing. Let's talk about the lending and borrowing product first. So you alluded to how the protocol works and that it's like similar to Aave and Compound. Can you dive deeper into the protocol? So one set of users that wants to collateralize, like Adam, for example, their one counterparty, who's on the other side? It's borrowers on the other side. That's the other counterparty. And then the protocol mediates the transaction. Let's think about this way. Let's say you are an Atom bull. You want to hold Atom for long term. You also want to maybe take some leverage on that. You have $100 worth of Atom, but you want to have $200 worth of exposure to Atom because you are so bullish, right? In this case, in this case, what you want to do is you deposit Atom into that protocol, Red Bank, 
And maybe someone is bearish on Atom. They don't have Atom, but they have some USDC. They deposit USDC to that protocol. So what you can do is you deposit Atom. You borrow the other person's USDC against your Atom. Your Atom will act as the collateral in this case. And you can swap those USDC to Atom. So you have more Atom than you originally had. That is what the protocol will enable. So obviously in practice, you probably want to use a liquid staking derivative like the Atom or what? ST Atom, however you pronounce it, instead of the naked Atom, but that is the idea. ST Atom would be the stride on um, liquid staked token for staked Atom. In Red Bank, you would allow for liquid staked tokens like ST Atom or ST Osmo to act as collateral. Yes, so it will not be available right at launch. So right at launch, we will only have Atom, Osmo, and USDC, but Personally, I would expect SD Atom to be the first asset to be added after launch. Are there any security concerns with that? Yes. So for an asset to be supported by... No, like from the consensus perspective instead of financial application layer perspective. Our Red Bank will be a contract osmosis. All that takes to add a new asset is to execute a certain function on that contract. It's a pretty trivial task. So, well, no concern for the contract, but I guess it's the question you're asking if this will have any security concern to the osmosis chains or Atom chain. Yeah, right, right. So for the liquid staked um, assets chain in question. So I'm going to zoom outside of the implementation and ask more of like a general conceptual question about like liquid staked assets in general to be used as collateral for leverage. So like, is that potentially dangerous for the chains that rely on proof of stake security to have um, liquid stake tokens act as collateral? There are two main three arguments against liquid staking. So one is that when you stake with a liquid staking protocol, to which validators are your tokens delegated to. So if they only delegate to one or very few, then that introduces centralization and not, that's a bad thing. Argument two is that the whole reason we have a lockup period for staking, you have to wait seven or 14 or 21 days to unbound your stake tokens is because if a validator does a bad thing, a malicious thing, they will be punished they cannot immediately sell their stake and go away. So if we have a seven-day period, the protocol will have plenty of time to find out this malicious behavior and penalize the validator. But if this validator had used a liquid staking token, that gives them the possibility to you know, just sell the liquid token and bypassing the unbounding period. So this is number two. Number three is more on the price set. So if... The whole market is super bullish on Atom. They put a whole load of staked Atom in Mars and borrow a whole load of, of USDC against it, take on a very high leverage. And if there's a slight downturn, a whole bunch of Atom gets liquidated and the Atom price goes down. So that reduces the total dollars value of the whole stake. And that reduces the economic security. That means a bad guy who has a bunch of USDC can potentially buy up a, a bigger portion of the Atom stake for a lower US dollar price. That's the three main criticisms against liquid staking. Centralization, the ability to 
sell quickly, bypassing the unbounding period, and leverage. These are the concerns. Uh, I guess everybody can have their own conclusion on this. Are there any measures to temper the potential negative impact of the last case that you talked about? Which I think out of all three, the last one is the most problematic because what you can have is potentially a state level actor or you know somebody with billions of dollars in their war chest to you know if they were malicious potentially use this lending market to their advantage like you said they could drive adam price down and then buy it back up with usdc or, or something on the cheap and then the, over time on a rolling basis accrue a massive amount of voting power of Adam, for example, and then if they were truly malicious, then take over the chain potentially, or maybe not take over the chain. Um, they would just like equivocate, and the chain is compromised, and then you know we're just SOL. So that's a, like a really terrible situation to be in, right? Because we did see stuff like you know mango markets attack, and these attacks always come from lending markets, especially when there is like size on the table. It does introduce that new attack vector that didn't previously exist in Cosmos before. How do we temper that while balancing, you know, allowing people to like daisy chain these various DeFi protocols and earn yields in a fun gamified way? From the perspective of a lending protocol like Mars, the protocol also does not want situations such as cascade liquidation, where it causes the price of a collateral asset to fall very rapidly. The protocol also does not want this because it could potentially lead to bad debt. So there are three parameters for this asset that the protocol can tweak to avoid this situation. There are deposit cap, borrow cap, and collateral power. So deposit cap meaning how much of staked atom can be deposited. Borrow cap meaning how many USDC can be borrowed. And collateral power means how many other assets you can borrow given $1 worth of ST atom. So maybe we can say, uh, if the collateral power is 0.8, then for every $1 of staked atom you deposit, you can borrow at most $0.8 worth of other asset. So when these t determining the values of these parameters, I think these values are going to be determined by governance. And I think governance should take into a number of things into consideration, such as available liquidity of the asset in available, because if considering if you want to liquidate an asset that involves selling the asset. So if there's very shallow liquidity and you're selling a very large amount, that crashes the price a lot. This is what happened with Mango Market. I think the available liquidity of their own Mango token was very low. For Solen, for example, you remember Solen has a single whale that took leverage on a whole lot larger amount of Sol, Solana token. And also for Ave, the guy who exploited Mango Market uh, his name is Avi. He tried to exploit Ave afterwards. He was utilizing the Curve token because most of the Curve tokens are staked and only a very small amount was trading in DAXs. So it also had very shallow liquidity. So when governors set these parameters for each asset, they should take into account situations such as available liquidity and historical price volatility and all these sort of stuff to come up with sensible values for these parameters to prevent price manipulation and other kinds of attacks. Is it correct to assume that governance will choose to whitelist only the most liquid 
tokens, which should be, in theory, less vulnerable to these attacks? Ideally, yes. We hope governors will make sensible decisions. All right. Well, here's another edge case. Mars token, because Mars is your way of participating in governance of the Martian High Council. Right now, Mars is arguably a low liquidity token. So if somebody were to accumulate a whole lot of Mars tokens so that they could have sway in future votes and they basically vote in their own rug pool token in the future to get whitelisted as collateral asset, then would this potentially uh, introduce like an attack vector on the three different attacks that we mentioned earlier with liquid staking accounts or or just like low liquidity tokens. You're talking about a governance takeover, right? someone buys a whole bunch of Mars token and have a majority voting power. So I have two answers to this question. One is that at the very early stage of Mars protocol right now, as a matter of fact, a very large chunk of voting power is in the hand of Mars contributors. So we have a vesting contract that manages the vesting and unlocking of tokens for Mars contributors. Those tokens, although they are not staked in the staking module of the chain, so it, they do not earn staking rewards, but they can vote. So at, at this very early stage, a large chunk of voting powers are in the hands of good intentioned people. <laughs> so Mars contributors are definitely not malicious. So it's not a problem for now, but of course, over the course, while the tokens will be released as staking rewards, as LP rewards, as uh, deposit incentives, etc. So token distribution will be diversified. At that time, we will need other mechanisms. And one thing we are thinking about is to copy a design from Aave. So what Aave does is you stake your Aave tokens that gives you governance power, but that also gives you a liability. And that is if the protocol is exploited and leaves a very large amount of bad debt, in that case, the staked Aave tokens can be auctioned off and the proceedings from that auction will be used to cover the shortfall. That gives Aave holders an incentive to do their research and select more sensible parameters for assets to avoid exploits. Because if they pick some reckless numbers, listing some low cap coins and they got racked, it is going to be their own tokens that are going to be sold off to cover the loss. So that gives them some you know, skin in the game to incentivize them to make better choices. We did have this mechanism on Terra Classic, but at this release of Mars protocol, we do not have this mechanism yet. And the reason is that Mars token is not only a governance token now, it is also the proof of stake token for a chain. And if we auction off a whole bunch of tokens, that is detrimental to the security of the chain. So we have to design some other mechanisms for this. This is still being, being researched, but I think in the future, we are looking to introduce a similar mechanism to give token holders some skin in the game so that they make sensible decisions. Ladies and gentlemen, we interrupt this podcast to tell you about Interchain FM Stake. Interchain FM is not only a podcast, but also a steakhouse. IFM Stake is a premium, sushi-grade steakhouse running on Osmosis, Umi, and Comdex. If you get your alpha from this podcast, show us some love by delegating to Interchain FM Stake. What percentage of the token distribution belongs to the Mars contributors? And what percentage goes into incentivizing liquidity pool on osmosis when the pool launches? 
Right. So everything's on chain, but on top of my head, if I can give a few numbers. The total amount of tokens currently deposited in the vesting contract is 290 million, so close to 300 million. The total airdrop tokens are around 60 million. So 60 million airdropped, 300 million in the hands of contributors. And there's going to be over one year, staking incentive will be 9 million. So 9 million will be released to stakers. And remember the the three, 300 million contributor tokens, they cannot be staked. So none of the 9 million goes to them. All 9 million go to the airdrop holders. For liquidity reward, so Alpine and Osmosis, there's one proposal currently ongoing. So, so allocating just under 1 million over, I could not remember if it's one month or three months. So just under 1 million for a few months. In the forum, there's also a proposal on incentivizing depositing or borrowing on the osmosis outpost i do not remember the the amount so that's a, what i have on top of my head right now so can you elaborate more about the mars rover credit accounts when v3 comes to uh, production yeah so let's go back to the if you are super long on atom example if you are super long on atom you, you hold some atom but you want to go even more long on Atom. So with Red Bank, what you, you do, as we just mentioned, you, you deposit Atom, you borrow some USDC, you swap the, you, those USDC to Osmo, right? But if there are other ways to use Atom, you don't have that opportunity. Let's say you want to LP Atom Osmo liquidity pair in Osmosis DEX, but you, you cannot do that. In our example, you deposit some Atom, you borrow some Osmo, let's say, but in this case, your atom is locked in the smart contract and potentially borrowable by other depositors. So they are no longer in your control. You, can, you cannot do anything to those atoms. You have the other half Osmo, but you can't do anything with the atom half. So what the credit account does is you deposit atom, you borrow some Osmo. In this case, you still have control of your atom deposit. And you have those Osmo, and you can put them both into the osmosis liquidity pool or or you can put in put them in a auto compounding vault contract to to handle the reinvesting the credit account will, will enable this and also the credit account also allows for a much higher borrow amount for atom we just let, let let's assume the atom collateral power is 0.8 that means if you deposit atom $100 worth of you can only borrow up to $80 worth of the other asset but in the credit account, if you borrow $100 worth of Atom, you, de you deposit $100 worth of Atom, you can potentially borrow more than $100 worth of the other asset. So that, that, that sounds weird. How could you possibly do that? That's because the credit account operates in a similar way to car loans or housing mortgages in our traditional finance. So let's suppose you want to, you want to buy a car that is worth $50,000, you can put down a down payment of 10000 a bank will give you 40000 and you buy the car. So in this case, the bank is lending you 4x the amount you, of your down payment. But how does that make sense to the bank? Well, that is because if you miss a payment, well, if you miss too many payments, the bank will take away your car. So in this case, the car is your collateral. The car worth 50000 
and that is more than what the bank gives you, which is forty thousand. So this way, the bank can lend you more than your down payment. So the credit account works in a similar way. You put you put in one hundred dollar worth of atoms. So Red Bank can lend you four hundred dollar worth of the other asset, and you can put them both into an auto compounding vault to do yield farming. If the price of atom drops, those funds you put in the in the yield farm can be liquidated. So yeah, that's how it works. So if I have a liquid staked Osmo and I collateralize it to borrow, you know, four hundred dollars worth of USDC or whatever, and then I put it in a vault, then I basically double dip or triple dip in my yield, right? Or no double dip in yield if I put it in some kind of auto compounding vault. Right. So your yield farming yield will will go up uh, according to your leverage ratio. So if you if you deposit one hundred, you borrow four hundred, your total amount of asset will be five hundred. That is five x of your original deposit. You're on a five x leverage. So if you put five hundred dollar worth of asset into the vault. You will earn five x worth of yield farming reward than you would have if you only put your own one hundred in, right? So you five hundred five x leverage on your yield, but you also have a tremendous amount of risk in that case. If the price drops, you're very likely to be liquidated, and also you have to pay the interest rate on the four hundred dollar worth of asset you borrow. So that could be high. So high reward comes with high risk. Where are the yield farming opportunities? From where I stand, I could see if you're lending, then you're earning interest rate from the borrowers, right? And if I put it in a yield generating vault, that's another. Is there any yield farming incentives allocated to these vaults from like the Mars Protocol or something like that? So osmosis, the primal. Yield farming opportunities is obviously the Osmo token inflation that's allocated to liquidity providers. So at Mars, we are collaborating with third-party protocols. So right now, we are collaborating with Apollo DAO, which is also a former Terra protocol, to build auto compounding vaults, and these vaults will be supported by our credit account at launch. But we are also totally open to other third-party protocols. So we have a Standard interface, standard API vault. Any protocol, any vault that implements this standard API can be integrated with the credit account, provided that they have a good oracle for the value locked in the vault, and they are approved by governance. All right, and is that all going to be hosted on Osmosis? This Red Bank, Mars Rover, and Apollo's vaults. Right. So Osmosis is the first chain we are going to deploy. So everything I have just mentioned are all. Pertaining to osmosis, right? So you've got the Mars Hub, and you've got one outpost planned so far. Are there plans for the hub itself to host its own decks eventually, or is that not its purpose? And you're going to potentially have like osmosis have an outpost on the Mars Hub to act as your native decks almost? We have not been discussing this, so it's not not planned, but. You know, technology evolves, the protocol evolves. So maybe in the future this will make sense, but for now it's it's not. Okay, and for your like for Mars Outpost, are there plans for it to go multi-chain 
meaning are you going to create different outposts on like Juno, Stargaze, whatever, or is it primarily going to sit on osmosis? We're definitely going to have multiple outposts, but the second one has not been discussed yet, though I do not know where it will be, but we definitely look forward to deploy more outposts. In fact, we have made significant changes to our uh, smart contracts compared to the original Terra contracts. We made significant changes to make them more portable, more modular, so that it only requires minimal efforts to adapt them to new chains. New Cosmos app chains, right? Yeah. As opposed to, you know, EVM chains. Yeah, of course. The contracts are written in the Cosmosm smart contract framework. So currently we only support Cosmosm enabled chains. So like no Cosmos hub, no no Stride. They don't have Cosmosm, so no Mars. Are other outposts going to have the same product as the one that's on Osmosis, like all of the, the ones that we just talked about? Or will they be different? Well, they will have Red Band, definitely. They will have Credit Account, definitely. But what are the vaults supported by the Credit Account will vary based on what's available on those chains. That's awesome. Uh, so we have uh, Cosmos Joe saying, damn, I had to click this video with my face on the thumbnail. I'm famous <laughs> now. Thanks, Changer. <laughs> so, I mean, the Cosmos Joe avatar, I, I pulled that because Larry was wearing it. That's, that's actually Larry's avatar. It seems like everyone's wearing Joe's face. Yeah, someone asked if Mars plans to deploy on non-Cosmosm enabled chains eventually. Okay, so I'm a Cosmosm maxi, so I am personally uninterested in that idea. But I think this ultimately is up to the community to decide if there's a very good opportunity if someone already written the contract, then if the other chain is IBC compatible, we absolutely need IBC for all these, then yeah. Right. Speaking of Cosmosm Maxi, so we had a conversation in Medellin last time where you we talked about Token Factory versus... CW20. Yeah, CW20 versus... Native Token. First of all, can you describe what you're trying to achieve and... Do you think that that's still a viable direction for Cosmos? Well, let's explain the background. So on Ethereum, there are two types of tokens. One is the ETH token, which is the chain's native token. And there is the ERC-20 tokens. For example, like Uniswap Uni is an ERC-20. Aave, Wrap Bitcoin, these are all ERC-20 tokens. So on Cosmos, we also have the native token like Osmosis is Osmo, and we have the Cosmosm smart contract framework. So the creator of Cosmosm created a thing called CW20, Cosmosm 20, which is pretty much a one-to-one -one copy of ERC20. So if you go to chains like Terra or Juno, you will see these chains have a large number of CW20 tokens. So the thing is, first of all, having two token standards on the chain means that smart contract developers need to write their contracts such that they support both token formats. That's a quite difficult thing to do. So it's unlike ETH. So, you know, on Ethereum, ETH is the only native token. So what they did was they, they made a thing called RAT ETH or WETH, which is an ERC20. And they only support ERC20. They don't support native token. So that is why we, we use LP on Uniswap. Let's say you, you LP USDC ETH. 
what you are actually LPing is USDC WE. But on Cosmos, we have the situation is different. So a chain can have as many native tokens as they wish. For example, if you send some Atom from Cosmos Hub to Osmosis, the Atom will come out on the Osmosis side as a native token. So Osmosis chain, in this case, will have two native tokens, Osmo and IBC Atom. So a chain can have many, many native tokens. You just cannot wrap every one of them into a CW20. So, so the Ethereum solution doesn't work for Cosmos. So basically, smart contract developers need to go extra steps to work out their contracts to support all tokens. And it also just happens that ERC20 is a terrible, terrible token standard with very inefficient. It's inefficient. It has a lot of security holes, a lot of wallet hacks, or all sorts of hacks are, are, are possible because, because of ERC20 design. And CW20 is a one-to-one -one copy of ERC20, and it, it inherits all of those problems. So another person who really also really hate CW20 is Sunny from Osmosis. So what he did is, what if we can reprogram the native token, the bank module, which is the, the portion of Cos Cosmos SDK that manages native token? What if we can program that module to allow third parties to permissionlessly mint native tokens? And we just get rid of all the CW20s. So he did that. He wrote a module called Token Factory. And what it does is basically allowing anyone, any person, any contract to mint native tokens. So in an ideal world, we, we will only have native tokens. We will not have any CW20. So that's the idea. I understand it from an implementer's perspective and how frustrating it might be to attempt to wrap every native token. However, from an integrator's perspective, like if you are an exchange, it's easy to fold in and list a just like another ERC20 copy, basically, because you've done it 100 times over. But it's less easy to do so for bespoke tokens that have like, you know, different properties. So does doing this with uh, like native token deployment using token factory still make it just as easy for integrators to like list those tokens or does some kind of like token standard like ERC20 or CW20? I think it's easier because, you know, exchanges already have Atom, you have Osmo. So it, it will basically work the same as Atom and Osmo. So they already have the infrastructure. Yeah, last question before we go. And if anybody in the audience has questions or comments, do let me know by posting a super chat. So what's the difference between Mars, Red Bank, and UMI? Because we've got UMI as one of our earlier stage lending and borrowing protocols within Cosmos. So, And you guys are kind of bringing the second generation of lending and borrowing here. What's the big difference? Yeah, so I would say there are two differences. One being that we have this new credit account primitive. UMI doesn't. And I think credit account will, well, just try it when we, when we launch it. Uh, I think you will love it. Secondly, it's more on the engineering side. The way UMI works is they have an app chain. Their lending market is on their own app chain. So if you have some Atom, you want to borrow some Osmo, what you have to do is you first send an IBC transfer to their app chain, your Atom, going to UMI chain. You do a second transaction to deposit that. You do a third transaction to borrow Osmo. 
And then you, in the fourth transaction, you send your borrowed Osmo to whichever chain you want to use that Osmo. So four transactions just to do a borrow. For Mars, our lending market will be on Osmosis or other chains. So if you want to borrow some assets on Osmosis, you can do that locally Osmosis. You don't have to leave Osmosis. So I think a great way to describe this is Wumi requires you to go to their market. Mars brings their markets to you. And having the market, lending market, and users on the same chain also makes it much easier for third-party protocols to integrate. So as a smart contract developer, there are, if I want to interact with the lending market, there are two main properties that would make it much easier for me. One is called synchrony and one is called atomicity. So synchrony means if I want to interact with the lending market, I immediately get the result. I don't have to wait. I immediately get the result of that execution and I can do whatever I want to do next. So this is in contrary to, for UMI, they have to do, do IBC over and IBC back. So that's at least two blocks of time. So I have to wait, but on Mars, you do that instantly. So that's synchrony. And atomicity means if I want to do uh, multiple actions and a single action fails, all the actions are rolled back as if they never happened. So atomicity means this thing cannot be broken down into smaller parts so that one part fails, everything fails. And that is a very, very good property for smart contracts. So let's say, considering you have a, a number of actions, it fails at one step, but the previous steps do not roll back, then you have to deal with them. Well, how do I handle them? So that's very problematic. So I, I think the architecture we have chosen at Mars make it much easier for third-party protocols to integrate and more third-party protocol means more borrowing demand, and that means more growth for the protocol. So I think, at least given the current circumstances, I think we, we have a better model. So obviously, as IBC technology matures, doing asynchronous or non-atomic calls across chains will also make UMI's model easier. But given the current available technology, I think ours makes more sense. You're right. Okay. That makes sense. And before we leave, are there last things that you want to let the audience know? Any announcements that we haven't covered yet? No, I think we have been pretty transparent. There's no insider info. Everything has been communicated on Twitter, on blog. So follow our Twitter. We have two more stages of launching to come in the following days or weeks. So yeah, follow our Twitter. Thanks for tuning in to Interchain FM. As always, I will read through the pages of white papers and condense only the alpha for you in a one hour long digest. Be sure to subscribe to Chango and Chain's YouTube channel to be up to date about the latest technology and never miss a live streamed episode.